You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Let us pray. Gracious and Heavenly Father, um, open your word to us. Uh, uh, Correct me where I was wrong, but strengthen your word and its creative power uh, as you give the gift of your Son to us uh, through your word, Lord. Uh, Open us to you. Um, Take this class and hold it in your gracious and omnipotent hands. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What are we doing? We're moving through Romans, not at a snail's pace, but we're not um, not hurriedly either. Um, kind of slowed down and kind of reset our, uh, our our schedule. Hope to get through all of Romans five today. Um, uh, so come on in, y'all. That's all right. Yep, come on in. So, um, um, Getting through Romans 5 today, which is, uh, somebody calls Romans 8 the Himalayas of the New Testament. Romans 5 has some of the small foothills, you might say, um, where it really starts to, to move forward and develop. Um, I'm just going to keep talking for a little bit and let people settle in. So this is what Paul Zoll had said one time, that you just start read the phone book for the first five minutes of class while people are sort of settling in and getting used to your, your coughs and all that sort of thing. Um, yeah. Hey, good to see you. Yeah. Um, so, moving into Romans 5, um, where have we been and where are we going? Uh, Romans 1.16, uh, for the gospel is the very power unto salvation for all who believe. Um, that's the, uh, what's often called the keystone verse of Romans, where he lays it right out. Um, from faith to faith, we spent a lot of time in the first two weeks thinking about that. Uh, different ways you can, can translate that or think about it. I think the most simple way to describe it is probably the right way. From faith to faith, from the beginning until the end, the same thing is the gospel. And it's there at the very beginning when we are given faith, and it's there at the very end when, as Ben's great sermon, uh, and we'll look at this next week in Christmas class with the second advent, um, when Christ comes back until we meet him at our death. Um, from faith to faith. Um, faith is the entire, uh, the entire part of the Christian life. Talking to somebody else this week, Thomas Cramner, our, our, our reformer, the one who wrote our prayer book, described faith as John the Baptist's finger pointing away from himself and pointing up towards Christ on the cross. That's also a great way to think about faith. Faith looks away from ourself. I must decrease so that he, the great man who died for me, Um, may increase. So there he is at the beginning of Romans 1. Uh, And then Romans 2 and 3, all alike are under sin, no distinction, um, a common denominator. There is no us, there is no them, there's only us. We all have sin. And then the the breakthrough in Romans 3. And I want to go back just to reread that because Romans 5 really picks up on this. Where in Romans 3, uh, starting at verse 21, but now, so we looked at, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, I was thinking this is a timeline and there's that and there's this and the whole shift where God's patience and forbearance was going to occupy this time until the day of our judgment and that's ahead of us. But now, Paul suddenly changes tense and he says, but now the judgment that we've been waiting for is now behind us 
and the propitiation, which we were worried about. How are we going to stand before God uh, and have our sins propitiated or atoned for or made okay? And Paul starts to say, and it's, you know, it's the thunder of the gospel, um, he starts to say it's behind us. And the rest of Romans is now the unfolding of what is life like when judgment is not in front of us, but behind us. And there's the words from Romans 3. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Even a simpler way, just all sin because of Adam, and that's where we're going to be in Romans 5, and lack God's glory. Um, and are justified by his grace as gift, we're going there today, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received in faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed away. So in Romans 2, 4, it talks about the forbearance of the current time, and now it's talking about God's forbearance in the past. It was to show his righteousness at the present time that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ Jesus. So the unfolding now of what it means to live our lives free. This peculiar freedom, this difficult freedom, you might even say. Uh, if judgment is behind and we, we, we don't look to ourselves, but we look only and always to Christ and what he has done, uh, what does that mean for everything else? And then Paul starts in Romans 4, and he says, for starters, paraphrase a little bit, we hear the stories of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and Solomon and everybody else completely different. In other words, we read our Bibles differently because this is the same word that the law and the prophets, in other words, Paul's whole Bible, Genesis to Malachi, uh, bore witness to, but now we hear it in a different way. And then we come to Romans 5, where he's going to start uh, his most concentrated um, consideration of gift. And we're just going to look at, I mean, I was just a really great time this week, kind of sitting with, with Romans 5 um, and the repetition of certain key phrases and certain key ideas, um, but especially gift, free gift, uh, grace, all of these related words come around. Um, but... Uh, so Romans 5, no but, Romans 5 is going to have uh, what I think is just melodic. Um, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes through a wonderful little um, digression, I guess might be the right word, where he, uh, he just puts it out there that suffering, which is real because we're living in these in-between times with judgment behind us, but yet Christ coming again. And so here, us, in time in between these times, we suffer, and that suffering produces perseverance or endurance, um, and that endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint. We'll look at that. And then he gets really excited about uh, the love of God, which is poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. He kind of pops in the Holy Spirit for the first time, and he pulls it back because he goes all in on the Spirit in Romans 8. That came up last week, and I said, let's wait. Romans 8 and take the spirit when Paul offers him. Uh, But he kind of dribbles that out and then talks about when this gift is given and to whom. And then he just uh, uh, goes over and over and over and over and over 
about the gift, the free gift, the grace of God that we know in Christ. That death and sin reigned, but now uh, as grace comes, uh, life shall superabound. So, you know, I'm telling you what we're about to read, and now we're going to read it. So let's read Romans 5. Um, starting at 5 1. Going to try to, I know it's hard to hear, but let's just uh, see if I can pull this off and, and read the whole of Romans 5. Um, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have a, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the, death of, by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. You can hear Paul just kind of keeps stringing words together. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus our Lord. So, dense, difficult to hear. Um, let's see if we can slow down pick it apart a little bit. Um, starting at the beginning, um, therefore, um, what's the therefore then? Um, right there at the end of Romans 4, in a great summary statement, for Jesus Christ was handed over, was delivered for our sins, and raised for our justification. And then Paul can't help, just the way I see it anyways, he's just kind of writing or dictating his letter. He just has to sort of, you know, stop there and have a, a mini doxology and say, therefore, 
since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, which leads him, maybe, what's he considering? Who knows? But into this, uh, uh, this, this little chain, because we have access by faith through him. And we know that we suffer, and that suffer produces a constancy, a steadfastness, an endurance, and that endurance produces a perseverance, uh, a character, a tried and a true, a honed, uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Um, a resiliency, somebody that's been tested and battle-worn, and you know that they're going to stand. Um, and that produces hope, because you know you've been through the fire. And that hope is not going to disappoint us. Or you might even say disfigure us was the word that I was looking at, uh, where it would take us and mar our appearance and turn us around. For hope does not disfigure us or mar us because God's love has been poured into our hearts. Um, It's the same word where he also says, um, Christ's blood shed for thee. Um, Shed into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so now the gift language is introduced here. So, We'll skip 6 through uh, 12 and go with, um, starting at verse 12, with this idea that um, uh, well, gift, that Holy Spirit has been given to us. Paul wants to, as it were, hone in on the gift language. First, he talks about sin and the reign of sin, um, how it spreads, uh, but then he gets a concentrated in verses 15 through 21, gift, free gift, grace, over and over and over again. It was interesting. I looked at some words in verses 12, so you can see all my little highlights and everything. I don't usually do that, but I was just digging in and said, like, you know, there's some real categories going on here. The appearances of the associated words, words like sin, trespass, disobedience, transgressions, appears in these nine verses 20 times. Um, uh, death, which is the fruit of sin, um, appears six times. Uh, the law, which can increase the trespass, which can increase the transgression, which can increase our knowledge of sin, uh, appears three times. And then the, the, uh, the juxtaposition, you know, that through Adam, death reigns, but through Christ, now grace will reign. Here, if you want to look ahead uh, to a passage most of us have, you know, if not by heart, at least a great, great familiarity at the end of Romans 8, principalities and powers for I am convinced that nothing shall separate us from the love of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. Neither height, depth, angels, demons, principalities, powers, nor anything else in all creation. This is where he's referring back to the principalities and the power of sin and death and the flesh and the devil. He wants us to feel the weight of that rain. And then he has this contrast that comes around because he's got all those words, sin, trespass, disobedience, transgression, death, and law, reign. But then he also has gift, free gift, and grace appearing ten times, which also reigns. And he wants to set them up. And we have these comparison words like much more, uh, which appears four times, abound or abund or superabound. He kind of makes up a word. Um, It'd be like us saying, like, it's exceedingly exceeding is what he says there. Just an abounding abound, aboundingly abounds. Um, it's where we're going to look at that in Romans 5.20. Um, uh, increase spread um, five times. And so Paul, in some ways, brings it down pretty simply. He just doesn't want to let us miss. Because what was a gift to Paul? Uh, or what was a gift? We talked about this last week. Uh, and Santa Claus helps us with this. How did Paul, how did the people... 
uh, in Paul's day and as Paul was taught as a rabbi, how did he understand a gift? Not in the way that we do. Romans 5 is why we think of gift or grace as unmerited favor. Paul would say, well, that's not a gift at all. That's foolish. That's wasteful. If you give a gift to an unfitting recipient, um, that's not a gift. That's dumb. That's waste. Um, uh, a gift is given intelligently, thoughtfully, and accordingly to the recipient. Um, best example of this was how some of the, 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 the writers around Paul's time were writing about the Old Testament, um, and especially the story of, of the Exodus, uh, and they would find all sorts of reasons to, uh, to, to, to recognize why Abraham, who we looked at in, um, in Romans 4, or why Moses and others uh, in Exodus uh, were congruent uh, and fitting recipients of a gift. Um, of course, God should bestow upon them His grace. It was a gift. It wasn't a reward, um, but it was a fitting gift and one which said, like, yes, I recognize you and I want you to have this. And then Paul comes in and he upends all of this uh, and he starts talking about the free gift, not in, uh, not a fitting gift, but free and gracious and superabounding and overflowing and abundant and wasteful. Um, it's what the word prodigious means. And so we talk about the prodigal. Um, Tim Keller taught m many of us this. Uh, the prodigal God is the best way to describe that story because it's God's wastefulness in wasting his grace on uh, a completely unfitting recipient like the younger brother who goes off in Luke 15. So just to hear again, just the, uh, the overemphasis on gift, free gift, which is not like the trespass. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For many died through one man's trespass. Much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not the result of one man's sin, uh, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if one man's trespass, death, through one man's trespass, death reigned, how much more will we receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through one man, Jesus Christ? Uh, the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned through death, Grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we almost can't miss the way Paul wants to just hit the nail over and over and over again. You wouldn't be wrong if he said, like, do you need to belabor the point? I mean, we get it. The free gift, grace, the gift of God in Jesus Christ. But what is it? What is this free gift? And to whom is it given? For that, we back up. Uh, and that's what we hear in Romans 6 through 11. Uh, we're thinking, what's the gift, and to whom is it given, and when is the gift given? While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, 
we are reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So concentrated, um, who's the recipient of the gift? The ungodly, the weak, the powerless, God's enemies. Um, and when is it given? In the very act of the deed, while we were still sinning, while we were his enemies, um, while we were nailing him to the cross, you know, the, the, uh, the, the Mel Gibson hand in, uh, in the last temptation, while we were doing that, and he utters, you know, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Um, the gift is, is, is not just kind of grace in an abstraction. You can't miss it. It's the gift of Jesus Christ, and not even just the person, but his death. The language of gift um, uh, from uh, Romans 8, that God did not spare his own son, but gave him up, or in Romans 4, uh, which we looked at a minute ago, handed over and delivered for our sins and raised for our justification. Or out of Galatians 2.20, um, uh, this is dangerous when you start doing this from memory. Um, uh, for I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, who, gave, who loved me and gave himself for me. The language of that gift to the unfitting recipient in the midst of the sin. That is the free gift uh, which superabounds over and over and over. So I want to hit pause. Gosh, we're ahead of time. Um, have some, some, uh, some feedback, and then we might just take a small peek at, at what I hope is in a lot of our heads, because it's in Paul's mind. A lot of us know what the next line is in, in Romans 6. Um, and how he's going to say, what shall we say then? And he's going to have, um, you know, an imaginary conversation, which probably isn't so imaginary. He's probably got some people, you know, asking him questions about the radicality of this redefinition of gift. That gift is not, you know, Santa Claus who makes a list and it's a social contract with all the good children of the world. Um, it's a, they're fitting recipients. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a wage. It's not a payment. It's definitely still a gift, but it's fitting. Don't, you know, the incongruency, as somebody once called it, of, uh, of God's grace that, to me, as Paul would say, as I would fight Paul to say, the chief of all sinners, in the midst of it, Christ died. Um, so let me hit pause, and we'll look ahead to Romans 6 and kind of wet the, wet the whistle for um, when we pick this up in January. Any comments? Yeah. Yes? Quick question. I, I, I've only been just along the second one. But um, does it also need to be said that uh, what has really changed here is not God's plan, it's not God's word, uh, it's not even what God has been doing through time necessarily, but it's, it's our understanding of that. What Paul was changed for Paul is his understanding of what God's word is as opposed to, uh, or is, is that, that may be wrong, but saying this is new. Um, great question. I mean, no, because like he says in the very beginning, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he, God, 
promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son. So in that sense, not new. It's been around for the whole time. But it's new, yes, in that now it has been revealed. It's been around. It was hidden. And that's Romans 3:21. But now a righteousness from God, which he hits so hard, and what is righteousness? Um, we looked at that the first couple of weeks. Uh, and the understanding of what it was, and it wasn't absent at all in uh, uh, what he takes pains to say in Abraham. You know, which you think, well, Abraham's got to be the best example of a fitting gift because, I mean, he took a son, his only son, Isaac, took three days, walked up Mount Moriah, um, was going to kill him, you know, had, you know, right there. Stop! Do not kill the boy! You know, that's like, okay, a fitting gift for a work. And Paul wants to say, we start to read it differently now. So new, no, because it's been around from the beginning. New, yes, because it's been hidden, and now it's been revealed. So he's going to go through here, especially in Romans 9, 10, and 11, because um, that then brings up the question which Paul just is, you know, tortured about. You know, what about my people Israel? What about uh, the promises that were made beforehand. Um, would that I be cut off myself and they would be saved. Um, and so Paul, didn't, he, didn't, he doesn't let up there, but knew, no, uh, revealed, in that sense, knew, yes. Um, yeah, David? Kind of along the same lines. I always look at the verb tense, what's been done, mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. we are now, and what we have for the future, and especially regarding our... Uh, suffering, it's a progression. He leads us from a state of being, moves us and moves us and moves us to hope, and that hope is everlasting life, which is yeah. the final verb. <clears throat> yeah, it's good. Um, yep, staying there, just doing a little bit of the verse work. Um, in verse 5, but hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And then he goes off on, you know, a couple of things, and especially verse 7, which really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, uh, for one will scarcely die for right, but th- perhaps for a good person, you know. But God shows his love. Now he goes back to the love of God, which he mentions in verse 5, and brings it back to verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This love which has now been poured into our hearts, this love which has now been, and I like the entendre, of Christ's blood shed for you and for me. That blood poured into our hearts uh, uh, by the Holy Spirit who's been given to us as a gift. Um, And that's going to be the life in the Spirit that we look at in Romans 8. Yep. Um, Going back to the Yeah. Is there, you know, all those verses? Yeah. Separating of goods and yep, yep. sheep and all that sort of stuff. Um, I'm trying to think how, how to answer it from within Paul or just to go outside of it. Um, I'll have to go outside of that. Good question, Victor. Uh, yep. So, but, but the gift is, is proclaimed all in that indiscriminate proclamation. Um, 
uh, for those in the church, outside the church, and he's going to square up the predestination. Um, those whom God has foreknew, he predestined. Those whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. Uh, so he looks down the corridors, as it were, in foreknowledge. Uh, I like the way we think about the word know in, in the Bible so often, where there's that intimacy of like a husband knowing his wife, Adam knowing Eve, and God knowing even before, uh, before time was. And then that foreknowledge becomes a selection, being elected or predestined, and then calling. For me, just spending time in Romans the last couple of months, that's been one of the sort of new revelations. I knew this, but it was like hidden and it came back to me. Just this sense of calling and what that is in that, that chain, what's sometimes called the, 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 the golden chain in Romans 8, is now the interruption in real time in the chronos of the tick, 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 tick of, of you know, January, February, March, April, God interrupting and doing the work that he wants to do to those that he wants to do it. And so my own sense is that it's a, um, uh, maybe similar to the broadcasting of the seed on, uh, on, on, on stony ground and, and thorny ground and everything else, that it goes out. And then the word of God, which is living and active, does the work of God to call in real time his people to himself. So in shorthand, in Theo speak, uh, he'll talk about this in Romans 10, for the need of a preacher, and blessed are the feet of the preacher, who then go out because the proclamation of the gospel, the word of Christ, where faith comes by hearing, the word of Christ, is in fact the electing love of God. Um, that in that, uh, that proclamation, God calls people to himself, whom he foreknew and selected, but now in real time. Does that get to your question? Is that, is that there? Are you looking at a more technical, who was Paul writing to? And, well, all God's yeah. people are yeah. sinners. Amen. Yeah, no, that's clear. You know, Romans 1, 2, 3, I mean, he, he makes no... All the people in heaven are sinners. Uh, everyone, you know. Um, did that get to your question, Victor? Yeah. So, if, we'll end a little bit early. Let it be known, I'm going to end early. If all this is, uh, is starting to sink, now I hope, like you, you might you know, have some questions in your mind. Well, what about um, this arrangement? It seems like you know, unfitting recipients, incongruency in grace, that the arrangement of, uh, say, maybe the church in Corinth seemed ideal. You know, 1 Corinthians, one of Paul's occasional letters, as he calls them, uh, if there was a church that was screwed up, church in Corinth, when he wrote the first letter, was probably it. I mean, I can't even remember what all was going on. They're denying the resurrection. Uh, they're going to communion, but the rich people are going first and drinking all the wine and getting drunk and not letting the, the, the poor people come in behind them. Um, you've got people breaking off into sections saying, I follow Paul, I follow Peter, I follow Apollos, I follow Jesus, and they must have been really you know, well thought of. Uh, and then you hear right at the very beginning, it talks about to those who are called to be holy and sanctified in Christ Jesus, uh, the beginning of chapter 5, I hear there's a sin among you that not even the pagans practice. You know, somebody has taken his father's wife. Um, so they are screwed up. They don't have anything right. Um, 
Some things never change. Some things never change. Um, so you think, well, that must be the arrangement that God wants. Let's just increase sin so that grace may superabound. <coughs> Romans 6 squares up to that. Um, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Um, you know, very strong, emphatic statement there. Um, uh, you know, let it not be. That's foolish. It cannot be that way. So next time we'll think about what this means then to have in real time our members, our, our hands, our feet, our heads uh, belong to Christ with this amazing grace uh, and how that starts to play out in real time. Uh, I'll give you a hint. Um, shall we continue in sin? Should we continue in sin? Absolutely not. Will we continue in sin? That's a different question because we're stuck here between here and there. And that's where Paul wants to take great pains. Um, so, let me pray. Yeah, Charlie? I always go back to hope. You know, in, in, in colloquial terms, you know, hope is always like there's a shred, a scintilla of possibility of a certain outcome. And uh, I, I get a big kick out of these little videos, SEC shorts, and y'all are saying, you know, <laughs> and hope is this really pretty girl in the, in the evening dress with this banner that says hope. But that's not this hope. This hope is. A certainty. A certainty, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, or preordained, it is. Yeah. It's where we're Great getting. word, yeah. It, it is our hope. Hope is not, you know, I hope it doesn't rain today at 4 o'clock so I can do something in my yard. Right. Um, that's just kind of wishing. Uh, this is that character which produces endurance and endurance produces, I mean, that, that suffering which produces endurance and endurance produces character, that tried and trueness. I stand on this. I know my Redeemer liveth. Um, let me pray. Lord, be with us. Take this, uh, these words of Paul. Um, let us wrestle with them. Uh, uh, and let your, uh, your work be done in us. Um, Lord, ever I beg of you that you would correct me where I was wrong, but strengthen the word that you would have us know and remember and, uh, and be at work um, in hidden and also in known ways. Um, thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.